0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. this series this summer is what Jesus said about that. And as Jesse said, today we're talking about what Jesus said about love. And um, I picked up a book a number of years ago by John Ortberg, who's one of my favorite authors, by the way. Um, The title of the book is Love Beyond Reason. And I highly recommend this book. Um, It it just gives you a whole different perspective on how God's love works and how it changes lives. And uh, he starts off with a story that I wanted to kind of start off tonight, today with. So um, I'm going to read from chapter one, Love Beyond Reason. Her name, name was Pandy. She had lost a good deal of her hair. One of her arms was missing, and generally speaking, she had had the stuffing knocked out of her. She was my sister Barbie's favorite doll. Had you worried there for a minute, didn't I? She hadn't always looked like this. She had been personally selected a Christmas gift from a cherished aunt who who had traveled to a great department store far away Chicago to find her. Her face and hands were made of some kind of rubber or plastic so that they looked real, but her body was stuffed with rags to feel soft and squeezable like a real baby. When my aunt looked at the display window at Marshall Fields and found Pandy, she knew she had found something very good. When Pandy was young and a looker, Barbie loved her. She loved her with a love that was too strong for Pandy's own good. When Barbie went to bed at night, Pandy lay next to her. When Barbie had lunch, Pandy sat beside her at the table. When Barbie could get away with it, Pandy took a bath with her. (laughs) Barbie's love for that doll was, from a Pandy's point of view, pretty nearly a fatal attraction. (laughs) By the time I knew Pandy, she was not a particularly attractive doll. In fact, to tell you the truth, she was a mess. She She was no longer very valuable. I'm not sure we could have given her away. But for reasons that no one could quite figure out in a way that kids sometimes do, my sister Barbie loved that little rag doll still. She loved her as strongly as in the days of Pandy's raggedness as she did in her days of great beauty. Other dolls came and went. Pandy was family. Love Barbie, love her rag doll. It was a package deal. Once we took a vacation from our home in Rockford, Illinois to Canada. We had returned almost all the way home when we realized that the Illinois border, the Pandy had not come back with us. She had remained behind in the hotel in Canada. No other option was thinkable. My father turned the car around and we drove from Illinois all the way back to Canada. We were a devoted family. Not a particularly bright family, perhaps, but Devoted. We rushed into the hotel and checked with the desk clerk in the lobby. No Pandy. We went back up to our room. No Pandy. We ran downstairs and found the laundry room. Pandy was there, wrapped up in the sheets, about to be washed to death. The measure of my sister's love for that doll was that she would travel all the way to a distant country to save her. The years passed. My sister grew up. She outgrew Pandy. She traded her in for a boyfriend named Andy. Andy who, oddly enough, was even less attractive than the doll. <laughs> Pandy had not, been much, had not been much of a bargain for a long while, and by now the only logical thing left to do was to toss her out. But this my mother could not bring herself to do. She held Pandy one last time, wrapped her in exquisite, with exquisite care in some tissue, placed her in a box, and stored her in the attic for 20 years. Years passed. My sister got married, not to Andy. And moved far away. She had three children, the last of whom was a little girl named Courtney, who soon reached the age where she wanted a doll. No other option was thinkable. Barbie went back to Rockford, back to the attic and dragged out the box. By this time though, Pandy was more of a rag than a doll. So my sister took her to a doll hospital in California. There really is such a place. And had her go through reconstructive surgery. Pandy was given a facelift, or liposuction, or whatever it is that they do for dolls until after they're 30 years old. <laughs> Pandy became once again as beautiful as on, the, on the outside as she had always been in the eyes of the one who loved her. I'm not sure she looked any better to Barbie, but now it was possible for others to view what Barbie had always seen in her. When Pandy was young, Barbie loved her. She celebrated her beauty. When Pandy was old and ragged, Barbie loved her still. Now, she did not simply love Pandy because Pandy was beautiful. She loved her with the kind of love that made Pandy beautiful. Jesus said a lot of things about love, about the life-transforming power of love. And today we're going to look at one section. Most of the things that Jesus said about love are recorded in John's gospel. He kind of took the time to talk about that more than the other gospel writers. And we're going to look at one section in John's gospel. It's toward the end. It's in John chapter 15. And and it is probably one of the most um, definitive times that Jesus spoke about love. And I'll give you a little bit of a background because he gave them this conversation. This conversation happened on the way from the upper room where they had just celebrated the Passover, on the way to the garden, of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, where Jesus is going to be arrested, brought to trial, and then the next day put to death on a cross. And it's in that that time, as they're walking from the upper room over to the Mount of Olives, it is in that time that this conversation takes place. And this is what Jesus said It's some of his last words with his followers. He said this, John 15, beginning in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whenever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now, I suppose Jesus had a lot of things on his mind on that last night. I'm sure there were a lot of things going through thinking about what was about to happen. But in that moment, that last moment that he spends with his followers, the most important thing for him, for them, is that they understand how much God loves them and how to respond to that love. We're going to kind of unpack that a little bit today and just look at what Jesus said and what he had in mind when he talked about love. And I think it starts with this, that love always starts with God. It always begins with God. The very first thing he said is, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. What he's saying is that that most intimate of relationships between Jesus and Father God, that thing that we, did, we can't possibly fathom, we don't understand, that was so intimate, so close, so personal, so, so, so loving that we cannot possibly imagine and can't figure out what that looked like. He said that very same love, I have now loved you with that very same love. Remain in that love. See, what that means, what that means, and what you need to hear this morning is, God is for you. A lot of people don't understand that they think God is against them, that somehow they have to earn his love, earn his favor, but he's saying from the very beginning, no, no, no God has loved you. God is for you, that he knows you. Now, and the truth of the matter is, we are all rag dolls. We are all ragged. Now, some of, the, some of our raggedness comes at the hands of other people. A lot of our raggedness we have brought upon ourselves. But Jesus and God loves us in our raggedness. That is his love. Maybe the best known and most love of all scriptures is John 3, 16, where Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have Eternal life. Now, the world, that's Jesus' word for unredeemed, fallen humanity. Okay? That's who he's talking about. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, God so loved those who had gotten their act together that he gave his one and only son. Or, or he doesn't say, God so loved those who were trying really, really hard to be good that he gave his one and only son. He said, no, God so loved unredeemed, fallen humanity. That he gave his one and only son. God has been for you from the very beginning. He is always for you. We have a saying in our culture, love is blind. Maybe you've said that. Maybe, maybe you've heard that before. And, and maybe maybe you've met, anybody ever met a couple or, or known a couple that kind of left you wondering, I, what in the world does she see in him? Okay, anybody kind of, what does she see? Now, don't raise your hands because... <laughs> People might be thinking that about you, so be careful. But, what, and then what we say is, well, love is blind, you know. God's love is not blind. He sees you in your raggedness, and he loves you still. See, that is the love of God, and that is the love that Jesus made known. See, no one loved like Jesus loved. You look at his life, and His, you want to see what God's love looks like? Look at Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus noticed people that nobody else noticed. He paid attention to people that nobody else had time for. Um, You might remember this one story told where where Jesus is is coming through a town, and and everybody in the village is just uh, just out to see him. He's gotten famous now, and everybody wants to see him. Everybody wants to touch him. Everybody wants to meet him, and, and so much so that the crowds are pressing in against him like he can't make his way through the village and people are just surrounding him and just, just right up against him and there's a woman there who is in need of healing and she can't get to jesus but she thinks to herself if i could just somehow get down on the ground and get to and reach the hem of his garment i know i'll be healed and she does it she gets down on the ground she makes her way through the feet of all these crowding people around jesus she reaches out she touches his garment and she's healed and jesus says in that moment who touched me And his disciples say, Lord, there's like hundreds of people pressing in all around you. What do you mean? Who touched you? He goes, no, no, no. Someone touched me. He noticed someone. Nobody else paid attention to. Another story. Different village he's traveling through. And there's a tax collector. a, A kind of a short tax collector. His name is Zacchaeus. Okay? He wants to see Jesus. He climbs up in a tree. Anybody here grow up in Sunday school like I did? Okay, we used to sing a song. You remember the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Climbed up in the sycamore tree the Savior for it to see. And as the Savior was walking by, he looked up in the tree and he said, nobody else knows the song. <laughs> anyway, come on. Come on. How does it end? Zacchaeus, you come down. Yeah, and, and, and there was always motions with the song, right? The so, motions always went, Zacchaeus, you come down. I don't think Jesus said it that way. Like he's scolding him. I think it was more like, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Come on down. I'm going to go to your house for lunch. I'm going to hang out with you. See, that is the love of God. He was approachable. He, was, he, he reached out to people. There's another account where, where Jesus and his disciples, they're going through the their area of, of Samaria. And they come to a place and there's a well there. And, and so they kind of stop at the well. And the disciples go into town to get food for lunch. And while they're there, there's a woman from the Samaritan village who comes out to draw water. Now, it's the middle of the day, and so she's probably pretty much an outcast in her, own, in her own society because most everybody else comes and gets water in the morning when it's still cool and when you got it for the whole day. She's coming when nobody else will be around. Now, if you are a Jew, first of all, you don't talk with Samaritans. And secondly, you don't speak with women. You don't have a conversation with a woman. And you don't speak with the Samaritan woman who's an outcast in her own Samaritan village. But Jesus sits down and has a talk with her about living water. And about God's love. And her life is transformed. See, that is the love of God displayed through Jesus. Over and over and over again. In fact, look at his disciples. Look at the guys that he chose. To be his closest followers. They were not top shelf. Okay. They, they, were, they were. There were no PhDs in that group. There were no rabbinical school graduates. They were ordinary fishermen and tax collectors. And kind of a hodgepodge of all kinds of different people. They were not the sharpest tools in the shed. Jesus chose them. And he says to them. You did not choose me. But I chose you. Now to be chosen. See to be chosen means to have value. To be chosen is to be recognized for your uniqueness. To be chosen is to say, you have something to contribute here. And Jesus called these guys that nobody else thought had anything else to contribute. He says, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. Now, in our day, to be chosen, the greatest thing about being chosen is all the other people who don't get chosen, right? Right? I mean, isn't that what makes being chosen so special? There's kind of an exclusivity about that. It's like, I'm better than everybody else because I got chosen. That is not the way God chooses. It's not the way Jesus chooses. In fact, you remember what he said? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes What kind of choosing is that? Whoever? <laughs> like, why well, don't know. Chosen is being exclusive. Like, No, no, no. That's not how God chooses. God chooses whoever because he sees the uniqueness And the value in each and every one of us. And what you need to hear today, maybe some of you for the very first time, you need to hear, God is for you. He loves you. Love always starts with God. And then what happens is love begins to transform the one who is being loved. John Ortberg writes a little bit more about it in his book. He says, we may be unlovely, but we are not unloved. And we cannot be loved without being changed. When people experience love, and here I don't mean simply having warm feelings toward others. I mean the love that is sometimes stern and challenging, may even be painful. They begin to grow lovely. There is a kind of love that creates value in that which is loved. There is a love that takes rag dolls like you and me and loves them beyond all reason. And if you let him, God will begin to do reconstructive surgery on you until one day, watch out. Love of God transforms lives. It is that love beyond reason. Jesus said that the distinguishing characteristics of his followers would be that they love each other. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He did not say, this is how everyone will know my, you're my disciples, by your views on biblical inerrancy. This is how everyone will know that you're my disciples, by your, by your well-thought-out and reasoned theology. This is how everyone will know that you're my disciples, because you go to church every Sunday. And you have a quiet time during the week. Now, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, if you love One another, All those other things, those are important, but they're not the most important. The most important, the most important is that we love one another. And if you don't believe that, look at what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, question for you. How much of the law hangs on those two commands? Okay, I'll give you a hint. It's right there where I just read, okay? How much of the law hangs on those two commands? All the law. How much of the writings of the prophets hang on those two commands? All the prophets. It all hangs on love God with all that you got and love your neighbor like you love yourself. All of it hangs right there. You don't understand the Bible unless you understand God's love. You don't understand the commands of the law unless you are able to love other people. If love is not the distinguishing characteristic of your life, then none of that other stuff matters. He says the most important thing, the most important thing is that we love one another. So the discipleship question to ask myself, am I growing in my following of Jesus? Am I growing in my spiritual life? The question is not, did I have my devotions today? The question is not, did I go to church Sunday? The question is not, do I understand that theological principle? The question is, the defining question of our faith is, am I becoming more and more loving? Am I becoming more and more gracious? Am I becoming more and more forgiving? Because Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you're my followers. That you love one another. See, when I keep close to that understanding that I am loved by God in spite of my raggedness. That as ragged as my life might be, he loves me still. When I keep close to that thought then I am able to be a little more loving, a little more forgiving, a little more accepting of the people around me. When I stray from that thought and that reality, I become more judgmental, self-righteous, and smug. And there are a whole lot of Christians who think the measure of their spirituality is how much they know, but they don't know how to love. Dallas Willard writes about this in his book, "The Fruit of the Spirit of the Disciplines." He says, "How many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boring, lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied?" Yet such Christians are everywhere. And what they are missing is the wholesome liveliness springing up from a balanced vitality within God's loving rule. Spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. Sheldon Van Auken writes in his book, A Severe Mercy When Christians are somber, joyless, self righteous, smug, narrow, repressive, Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Jesus said, this is how they will know that you are my followers. That you love one another. And when we learn to love one another, and that becomes a distinguishing characteristic, there's something else that comes with this. The sense of joy. Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Complete. Which goes to the third thing, that love is completed when it's extended to others. See, by nature, you don't have love until you give it away. That's how love works. You don't really have love until you are able to give it to somebody else. that's, That's what love is. That's what Jesus said. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus says the way to remain in his love is to love other people. He said that's how it works. Now, there's a big, big difference between falling in love and remaining in love. Okay? Anybody who has been married, any couple that has been married for more than two years, you understand this, okay? There's a big, big difference between falling in love and remaining in love. Because if you think about it, falling in love is all about me. It's those warm, fuzzy feelings that I get. It's the butterflies in my stomach when I gaze into my loved one's eyes. See, falling in love is all about me. It's about my feelings. It's what I get out of this relationship. That's what falling in love is. Remaining in love switches it all around and it becomes all about the other person. Remaining in love is about caring for and thinking about and looking out for the other person. Remaining in love is wanting the best and working for the best of the other person. That's what love is. Falling in love, that's just all about me. Remaining in love, that's about the other person. Jesus was not concerned with us falling in love. He was concerned about us remaining in love. Remaining in love is all about the other person. He says, you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you. Now the rest of it says, so that, here's the reason, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. As I chose you, I gave you this love so that you could extend it to others. That's the bearing fruit. That's the fruit that lasts. And, 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 all, and Jesus said all other commandments, all other, all other instructions, everything else in Scripture is all tied to those two things. Love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. It's as simple as that. It's not that complicated. And yet it is incredibly difficult. <laughs> Why are we not supposed to lie? Well, because it's a commandment. It says, thou shalt not bear false witness. And if we do, if we lie, then we we break the commandment, and God's gonna be angry with us, and we're gonna end up in hell. No, that's not the reason. The reason we don't lie is because when we lie, we hurt somebody else, and that's not loving. When we lie, we make ourselves look better at the expense of somebody else, and that's not the loving thing to do. That's why we obey the commandment. That's why he said, all these commandments. Why do we not steal? Well, because it's one of the commandments. No, no, we don't steal because when I steal, I rob someone else of their possessions and I hurt them and I harm them. And that's not love. See, that's what he's saying when he says all the all prophets and all the law are summed up in those two commandments because everything else, if you can't see the law, if you can't see all of scripture through the eyes of love, you don't understand what it's all about. Why should we be generous? Well, because the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver and I want God to be cheerful about me. So <laughs> I'm going to give. And actually, actually, it says if I give my 10%, then he's going to bless me. No, those are the wrong reasons. He calls us to be generous because somebody else will actually be helped when we're generous. See, that's love. If you want to know, if you ever get in a situation and you don't know how to react or what to do or how to respond, just ask yourself this. What is the most loving thing to do right now? What would be the most loving thing to do? and then just simply do what love demands because if you do that you were fulfilling all the law and the prophets what if what if the church really did that what if all of us who call ourselves Christ's followers actually loved in that way how would it affect our families how would it impact our neighborhood, our classrooms, our job? What would it look like if we really took that to heart and said, my number one priority is to love God and to love people? And then we actually did it. I have a feeling it would change the way people view the church. And you know what happens when we change the way people view the church? It changes the way they think about God when people see the church and we're the representatives of God in this world and they say, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. What if, what if people would look at the church and say, I don't, I don't know what they, I don't, I don't get what they believe. I don't understand it. I'm not sure what I think about the Bible, but boy, those people know how to love. I think it would change our world if we would just simply do what love demands. see, that's what Jesus did. He didn't just talk about love. He actually loved. He said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then, within 24 hours, that's exactly what he did. Why did he do it? Because he loves you. He loves me. He says, now, remain in my love. Would you bow your heads with me? Here's what I want you to hear. If you get nothing else this morning, you are loved by God. He is for you, not against you. And all that he asks is that you would receive that love and put your trust in him and then learn to live in that love, extending it to other people. And you might be here this morning and say, well, that's easier said than done because, you know, you don't know the unlovely people I work with or the unlovable people in my family. Or my neighbors. Or whatever it might be. And Jesus says, no, no, you can do this. If you just remember that I've loved you with all of your raggedness. You see, you don't don't have to agree with somebody to love them. You don't have to accept their lifestyle or condone their behavior to love them. You just simply have to want the best for them. That's what love is. Now, maybe you're here. This morning, and you don't know the love of God. For you, this whole God thing has been more about fear. And you never realized how much He loves you. He loved you so much that He gave His one and only Son, who gave His life on a cross, so that you would know His acceptance, you would know His forgiveness, you would know His love. And all that He asks, all that He asks is that you would come to Him in openness and honesty and say, God, this is my raggedness. This is my faults. These are my flaws. You know them better than I do. This is my sin, and I can't go back and undo it, and I can't do anything to make up for it. I need your grace. Thank you for loving me on the cross. Would you, with that love, forgive me and restore me and help me to live in that love? If you have never made that decision, today I want to give you an opportunity to take a first step of faith, and it's really that simple. It's just acknowledging your need, asking his forgiveness, and receiving his love. And if you've never done that, but today, today for you, it's time to take a first step of faith. I'm going to ask you to do something really simply just to let me know so I can pray with you and for you as we close. And I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand, and when you do, look up and catch my eye because I want to see you and acknowledge you and pray with you. Is there anybody? First time saying, this is it. This is it for me. for all of us here who know that love. My prayer is that we would learn how to extend that love this week. And if you're here and you're saying, you know, I could use some help with that because that's not all that easy for me. I would love to pray for you as well. Same thing, would you just raise a hand, hold it up, look me in the eye so I can pray for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord here we are with our rags with our brokenness with our faults and our flaws and our sin Lord thank you for reminding us how much you love us and how much you're for us show us this week ways in which we can extend that love you just simply care for people show them they are unique they are valued they have something worthwhile to contribute give us those opportunities and then just remind us in those moments when we're hesitant to do it that in the way that you've loved us we can love others we pray this in jesus name amen that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.